Good morning, New City. All right, we, we got off to a good start there. I tell you, uh, after that worship service, I think I could just sit down. We could just do more of that for another uh, two hours instead of me speaking, right? <laughs> you guys are pretty sharp. You guys are pretty sharp. Well, I want to, first of all, I want to welcome all of our guests and our visitors here today. Uh, my name is Charlie Blair. Uh, I'm one of the teaching uh, pastors, at least from time to time. I'm, I'm one of the elders here at, at New City Church. Matt's doing his duty down in, at the Edgerton campus today and the blessing uh, our folks down there. So I get the privilege of being with you today. And what a privilege that is. I don't know if you know it uh, or not, but today is a holiday. How many of you came today to, ready to celebrate a holiday? I see a few people who came ready to set a, celebrate a holiday. Some of you were kind of tipped off by me ahead of time, too. That's really good. How many of you don't know that this is a holiday? All right, that's the crowd I'm talking to today. Today is a holiday. Did you know this word holiday comes from two words? Holy day. So we think holidays are the days we get to take off and, and have fun and, and do all the things that are all about us. But holidays were originally those days that we dedicated to worship to God. And today is one of those holy days. Today is Pentecost. I mean the real Pentecost. Today is the Pentecost of Acts chapter 2. It's, it's on the calendar for today. You won't see it on many of your, you probably don't have it on Google, although I have a Jewish version of the Google calendar. It's on that calendar. And no matter how you count Pentecost by what calendar you use, all the calendars this year have come together that they agree that today, uniquely, Sunday, June 12th, is Pentecost. Now, hopefully by the time we get through with that, to, with today's message, you'll understand why that's so important. Do you remember what happened on Pentecost? Why do we remember Pentecost? Anybody, sh- give me a shout out. What happened on Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came. What else do I have? Something, something very dear to our hearts was created on Pentecost. The church, right? That's what we believe. We believe the church was created, was set in motion, was delivered uh, on the day of Pentecost. So today we're going we're gonna to tie into to, to those things and see uh, what we can learn about this day of Pentecost and see what God wants to do. And I tell you, we couldn't have had a more perfect introduction to what we want to talk about today than that worship service. That was uh, exactly aligned with my, with my message. So let's turn. If you've got Bibles, it's going to be on the screens here. But if you've got Bibles, open your Bibles. In your handouts, uh, I've left a trail of Scripture. So if what I say confuses you today, I want you to go home and, and look these things over again. Uh, what I say will be recorded so you can... Uh, think through it again, but I want you to kind of, these, these are very important things, things, some of these things we may not know. But let's uh, turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and let's get this setting. This is the setting that one day at the temple, after over a period of around 1,500 years of celebrating every day the sacrifices of the Lord, on this special day, they came to do perhaps a routine thing. But God broke out in their routine and changed their routine forever. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, 
and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit, uh, other, other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Wow. You probably didn't come to church prepared for that to break out here today, right? We'll see what God decides to do with this service. But that would grab your attention. It grabbed their attention. It was not the ordinary Pentecost in the temple of that day. Here's some things we need to know, though. We need to know the who they are. And we, know, we need to know what this one place was that they were gathered and what is this Pentecost. And I'll try to answer those three questions in the, in the course of the next couple of hours. You're still listening, aren't you? <laughs> All right. Let's get some clues first. Uh, uh, let, me, let me just uh, say up front, I'll tell you the place I think they were. I've already tipped my hand. I think the place they were, they were at the temple. The temple is the only place where all these things could have possibly happened. Hopefully I'll prove that point here shortly. Uh, but there's only one place. It's the place where Jesus taught. It's the place where the disciples always assembled with Jesus. It's the place where these Jews had gathered already. So let's uh, take some clues from chapter 1 of Acts. There we read, Jesus had been with the apostles over a period of 40 days and has told them to wait in Jerusalem for another 10 days. See, he says he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In fact, 10 days from that time. What he promised was that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, for those 10 that reminded them of other things that Jesus had already told them. Jesus had already made that promise several times, but that was a unique experience for them. They had seen Jesus baptized with the Spirit, but now he was promising that they would be baptized with the Spirit. So already you can see some momentum moving toward that fateful day, uh, that uh, Pentecost day. In verse 8 of uh, chapter 1, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. That was the power of the Spirit that was going to come upon them. And in fact, that's the outline of the book of Acts. If you read through Acts, you're going to find out that that's the pattern of the activity in Acts. In fact, we call Acts, Acts of the Apostles, right? That's what it probably says in your Bible, Acts of the Apostles. I think you should do like I've done in my Bible and, and kind of line through apostles. And instead of the Acts of the Apostles, <clears throat> it should read Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the book of Acts could, shows us what the Holy Spirit did when it broke out on the apostles and sent them into the world. And this is the pattern that they went. They started in Jerusalem right here in Pentecost. And they, they went around Jerusalem in Judea. And then they went next door to Samaria where Jesus had met the woman at the well. And then they went to the uttermost parts of the earth. And as we pick up the story in the, uh, chapter 2, we see a, that God in his divine wisdom is already preparing that to happen. In uh, verse uh, 5 of chapter 2, he says, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem. That's an odd piece of information, isn't it? 
Who do you think lives in Jerusalem? (laughs) But there were Jews living in Jerusalem. In fact, you might read your Bible sometimes and forget that it's about Jews, about Jewish things, about Hebraic things. But keep strongly in mind that this is about Israel, about Jews living in Jerusalem. They were devout men. That's a characteristic of some of these people gathered from every nation under heaven. See, already the trap is set to fulfill to the ends of the earth. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. If you're coming from the uh, uh, every nation under heaven, that doesn't mean you've got a common language, right? So you can imagine these people are broken up into their little groups of the little, uh, uh, the Greeks and the the uh, Turks and the whatever other, I don't know all the, the languages that there would have been, but there would have been a lot of languages and could have been a lot of confusion. They were amazed and astonished. In other words, they didn't understand why all of a sudden they could understand in their language these Galileans who were speaking. It appears that nobody could understand a Galilean anyway, but now everybody seemed to understand the Galileans. How is it that we hear each of them in our own language, they asked. And then they were given a list of, far, uh, were given a list of faraway places. These are the, the, the far edges of the Roman Empire to show you just how broad the representation is here at this time. How is it, they said, these visitors. Uh, it also says these visitors are from uh, uh, both Jews and proselytes. Jews are those who were born Jewish. Proselytes are those who converted to Judaism. How is it that we hear them in our own language speaking of the mighty deeds of God? What are the mighty deeds of God? What that means is they're telling what God has done primarily in the life of Jesus, in the life of Yeshua, and they're telling that by the promises of the Old Testament. We'll see that again here shortly. Speaking of the mighty deeds of God, and they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying uh, to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking. They are full of sweet wine. It just occurred to me, this is the scene at the cross, isn't it? One says, what hope do I have? And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And the other one mocks and ridicules. Boldly. Now, Peter has a boldness that he didn't have. If you read this right through, this is only 50 days from the time that Jesus was crucified. 50 days ago, Jesus was cowering. He was running from a servant girl saying, I don't know this Jesus. I am not from Galilee. I was not with him. But now that Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, mounts, the I, I would think, probably the stairs outside of the temple, the only place where this many people could possibly gather. And he begins to to talk. He says, this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. If Peter wants to speak something that makes sense to the Jewish people, he's going to speak to them from the word of God. The prophets. He's telling them what was prophesied, what was foretold. This is that pivotal moment where it's finally come to pass. So when you hear that, and you see what they saw and heard what they heard, there's only two conclusions to draw. Wow. 
this must be a strong move of God. Or this is crazy. Somebody's been drinking. Which was their reaction, right? So here's part of our answers. The, the, uh, the they who were gathered at this one place, I say they were the apostles. The one place uh, is not the same as we see in chapter 1 that was the um, upper room. Because it goes from the upper room to the one place and finally we see the word house. I think that shows us a movement from one place to the other. It started in prayer in the upper room. In fact, there's been seven to eight people praying with me for the last 10 days for today because that's what we read and what we saw the apostles doing. So we've been gathered. We were here in this auditorium or out there in the foyer in other rooms in this building and we prayed for two to three hours every day for the last 10 days. So don't be surprised if God decides to visit today. So what we have is this one place, I think, is the temple. And in this one place where the apostles, along with the Jews, and along with the proselytes from around the world, representing all the nations of the world. I don't know if you can already see it. In this one event, when these people all go home, Chapter 1, verse 8, it's already in motion, right? To the ends of the earth, because these people are going to take that message back with them. So Peter is putting what is happening into their historical perspective. Remember, uh, Chris taught several weeks ago, and he used the term remez, the hint at something that was already in Scripture. This is that. He's saying that, which Joel talked about, is this. And he he gave other proofs besides. So uh, many of these same men that were there on this day of Pentecost, would have been there on that day of Passover. Passover was 50 days prior to this. 50 days prior to this, coming from the the outer edges of the Roman um, Empire, it would take you about 50 days to go back home and come back, right? For many of you, this was a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and they would have remained from Passover until Pentecost because this was the two of the three times that they were required uh, by Jewish law to be in Jerusalem. We'll talk about that more in a second. But these same men, many of these same people would have been here. They would have actually heard all the ruckus about Jesus. In fact, being in the temple, they could have been sitting right at the very place and have heard Jesus teach in the temple because we know that Jesus taught in the temple daily when he was in town, right? and at all the feasts of Israel. That's why Peter can say with boldness what he says. He says in verse 22 of of chapter 2, it says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man uh, attested to you by God with miracles. I think these are miracles and wonders that they saw and signs that they witnessed, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. In other words, he's putting into perspective something they have firsthand knowledge about. You might not have, it's what it says, but you might not have recognized that. We often read over these things rather quickly. You nailed to a cross by the hands of of godless men and put him to death. I love this. But God, but God undid your dirty deed, undeaded him and raised him up again. 
And Peter continues his explanation down in verse 32. He says, this Jesus God raised up again to which uh, we, the apostles and the disciples, are all witnesses. In fact, uh, there were many, 500 or more. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise, that's the promise from chapter 1 of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you now see and hear. This was a very tangible experience. There was no denying what was going on here. The ground was shaking. The wind was making, the, the air was making huge noise. They were hearing things that couldn't possibly be, languages. And they saw fire on, on the heads of people. Now, I'm often teased about my gray hair, my white hair, but I don't think anybody's ever seen fire on my head. If you see fire on my head, let me know. I did catch fire one time. It wasn't a pleasant experience. But I'm ready for the fire of God. So continuing uh, in verse 36, it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain, not maybe, sort of this could be, but for certain that God has made him, this Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He's not missing any words there, is he? He's not playing around. The finger has pointed clearly at these people because they were in town. They, they could have been in part of the mob that shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Others could have just gone home and said, that was curious. Did you hear about that Jesus guy today? wonder how that'll turn out. <laughs> and others knew that they had met the Son of God. And they didn't know how to reconcile that crucifixion. But here's the crux of the matter. This Lord and Christ, this twofold aspect of Jesus. They didn't know how to reconcile that twofold aspect of Jesus because they had long... Well, they just had... The Spirit hadn't revealed to them this this aspect. They, they understood Christ. Christ is our English word for Messiah. Messiah means Savior. He's the one that was to deliver them from slavery, to deliver them from bondage, to deliver them from the Roman Empire. They were all ready for that. But this Lord thing didn't set well with them at all. They weren't ready for a suffering servant to be their reign and rule, to be the king over them, to, give, to have authority over them, to tell them what they should do. They didn't want this one guy... Uh, who was there to have authority over everything that they think think and say or do. And we wrestle with Jesus this way, don't we? Some of us are here because it's just the thing we have to do, punch our clock, I'll get there, I'll endure the hour, and then there's baseball or football or golf or something else. Anything else. But please don't make me think about church again until next week, right? Others of you love to come to church, and it makes you feel good to be here. You like that Messiah part, that Christ part. You like that warm and cuddly, that tender, loving Jesus that just makes you feel good inside and gives you hope. But by the time you walk out of the door, your life is no different than when you walked in the door. Anything he's spoken to you said, mm, not interested. I think I got this covered. We have to decide which of those camps we are in. We have to decide whether Jesus is going to be both Lord and Christ for us, both the one who has authority over us and the one who saves us. 
lest we fail to step into the truth that he's Lord of our lives. Just to say it real clear one more time, Jesus has the authority over everything we think, say, or do, whether you believe it or not. When we reject Jesus, we stand and shout with that crowd, crucify him, crucify him. You stand in that crowd. And we mock the things of God by saying they don't matter to us, they don't count for us. These people, when they heard this message, wanted one thing that you should want, and that's, what should I do? That's our question here at New City Church, isn't it? We call that the Kairos question. What's God saying to you, and what are you going to do about it? What should I do? Let's go to verse 37 of Acts 2. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. The Spirit did one other thing besides make noise and put funny tongues of fire on the head and shake the ground. He pierced the hearts of these worshipers so that they could finally understand the plainness of the person of Jesus. They were pierced to the heart, and Peter And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them three things. He said, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you, your children, and for all those who are far off. That kind of parallels that verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, doesn't it? As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Repent. What is repent? It's easy to do, right? There was, you don't have to go through hoops. You don't have to do anything really special. It says repent. Repent is... And remember, he's talking to the religious elite here. These were devout Jews. These were not street rabble. These were people who came to worship God, and this is how Peter is talking to them. So if you have a religious spirit about you and you think that you've done a great thing coming here to church, open your heart and see if this repentance thing is for you too. It is for me. It's a constant state of mind and heart. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of living, always. But repentance isn't just turning from something. It is that, but it's not just that. If I, re- if I want to turn from that table, I could turn any other direction, right? Right? But if I want to be to that table, I have to both turn from that table and to that table. And repentance is not complete until you've gone from to to. Does that make sense? That's repentance. So the second thing says be baptized. Now, baptism is all messed up in our churches. We sometimes we're baptized to be a member of a church. Sometimes we, we many times we just do it because that's what churches do, right? Well, Jews would have really bristled at the concept of baptism. You know why? Because they had already been baptized just to get up to hear this message. There's hundreds of mikvahs, baptistries around the Temple Mount, and they would have had to immerse themselves just to get in. But they understood that this was a special baptism. It wasn't just immersion in water. It was immersion in water that said this, that Jesus is both Lord and Christ in my life. And I will submit to him. It was that kind of a baptism. It was a contract where the deal was sealed and you died and you were raised with him. 
and new life. And then to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Spirit doesn't always come after baptism. Sometimes it comes before baptism. It's kind of, it decides when it wants to come. But we all have the promise of the gift of the Spirit when we come to Jesus. And sometimes that Spirit manifests itself in, in, in power, but it always manifests itself in opening your heart and giving you the ability to obey and to respond to the things of God. Do you want that Spirit? Ask God for that Spirit. And take those steps. Uh, repent, be baptized, and receive. That receive is not just a, oh, maybe I, it'll bounce on me or spill on me. It means open yourself up and do everything you can to take it in you. That's our relationship with the Spirit. Not a casual relationship. It's a very in- intentional relationship. What happens here is the law which had been written on stone tablets was now written on their hearts by the Spirit of God. This is another one of those promises we find in Jeremiah 31, 33. Exactly that promise. Let me take a moment and just read that to you. In Jeremiah 31, 33 it says, But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. And notice it's the house of Israel declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and on their heart and I will write it. I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is a covenant with the house of Israel. Doesn't mention us except Jesus promised already to those who are far off. You and I are those who are far off. Or once we're far off, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So, and those who had received his word were baptized And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. See, this brings into memory something that happened historically in the life of Israel. When else have we seen the earth shake, fire on a mountain, something powerfully spoken, and noise, great trumpets, and the sound of the voice of God? Mount Sinai. Any of those Jews there that day would have known that that they would have likely considered that Pentecost was a celebration of what happened to Sinai. Sinai happened, I think, on Pentecost. This is a repeat of that event. In, in fact, it takes those what was written on stone and now writes it on the heart, just like Jeremiah promised. Do you see that? That's, that's something that you really need to understand, and it's something so different than we often understand, because we like to divorce uh, the the new from the old. But on that day, back at Sinai, while Moses was up on the hill on the mountain receiving the rest of the word of God, they built a golden calf. They got distracted. They decided to have a religious spirit and they had to have something to worship. So they made themselves a golden calf to worship. Because of that, 3,000 people died. But on this Pentecost in Acts 2, 3,000 people died. We're brought to life in the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus. Do you see how God works on his holy days, on his holidays to do his mighty deeds? There were, uh, I can't remember if I've, if I've mentioned the, I left out one thing. There were three of these mighty days, Pentecost, or Passover, Pentecost, and the last one is 
uh, Sukkot, where they were required to be in Jerusalem. That's why these were so important to the Jewish mindset. So we have this remarkable result. Out of that response, a community was transformed. A Christ-centered community empowered by the Holy Spirit and obedient to God was formed. I'm reminded of the fruit of the Spirit. Do you know the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit, I could sing it to you. I sing it to my grandkids all the time. Anybody know the song? All right, no, I'll save you then. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we see in the very next phrases, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. In other words, they kept on searching their scripture and understanding the scripture and the apostles' interpretation of that scripture. They were together sharing the things of God and sharing the physical things of life. That's what love is. This is the picture of a Christ-centered community empowered by the Holy Spirit and obedient to God. That's our model. That's what we want to be. That's what New City wants to be. It wants to be that kind of a community. And in some ways we are. We have a long way to go. That's why they begin to, to sell their belongings because some of these people who had been there for 50 days already and remained because of the Spirit and their devotion to Christ had no means of support. So it took the rest of the community and love to step in and while they were fellowshipping to meet the basic needs of these people who from the, were from the far reaches of the Roman Empire in their midst, in the presence of their God. So where are you in this crowd? This is the real question. Where are you in this crowd? Are you wondering and marveling and recognizing the great things of God, the power of God revealed in Jesus Christ? Or are you a mocker and you ridicule the things, the power of God and the things of Christ? Do you want to change? Do you want to do something different? Do you want to be different on the way out than on the way in? Has your heart been pierced? If your heart's been pierced, do what they did. Repent. Be baptized. And then let the Holy Spirit empower you to obey. If you've only, if you've begun the journey and you've turned back to the golden calves, it's not too late turn from and turn to God is a forgiving God he's a loving God he loves you he wants you his desire is for you toward him so I want you to respond as they did you saw uh, we have baptism in two weeks if you haven't completed your story in baptism if you have questions about baptism we've got two weeks put on put on the uh, connect card Baptism. Let's talk about it. See if we can understand it. Even if you don't understand it, let's talk about it and see what Scripture has to say about it. What, have you done what these Jews who've been baptized a hundred times did? Putting on Christ intentionally as your Lord and your Savior. So put that on your Connect card. We're getting ready to go to a special time. You probably noticed the 
tables at the four corners of the room. This is a great time to deal with the issues I've just spoken about. Because it's at these tables that we recognize the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. But they weren't meant to be recognized merely as elements of things you go over there and do by yourself. Apart from others. Communion is a word that means derives from the word community. And Paul had some very stern instructions for the church at Corinth because they had taken this communion and they had turned it inward for their personal gain and celebration rather than as an acknowledgement of community. See, when we become that loving community of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we then express our love to one another. And when we fail to love our brothers, we fail to love Christ. We fail to love God. And that's the situation in 1 Corinthians. So uh, they had sinned against each other. Let's read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Spirit from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it. Uh, that's what he would have said. Thank you for the, the God who makes the bread, gives us the bread. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, remembering my character. How let me live in you. For as often as you eat this bread and drink my, uh, this, this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, my death, until he comes. Therefore, who eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. That means uh, with unacknowledged sin in your life and with unacknowledged broken relationships, unmended broken relationships in your life. Shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. You're the only one, you and God and the Spirit. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself. If he does not judge the body rightly, in other words, his relationship with, with, if I don't judge my relationship with you, if you don't judge your relationship with the person next to you and behind you and in front of you rightly, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. I saw a few of you drowsing in here. <laughs> I don't think that was quite the issue, though. So if you've done like those devout Jews did back in, on Pentecost 2,000 years ago and you've repented and you've been baptized and you've declared that Jesus is both Lord and Christ of your life you're invited at this time to examine yourself while Jason continues to lead us and then settle your accounts with God if necessary get out of your seat and go settle your accounts with somebody else don't leave these accounts unsettled and when you've done that come to one of these tables Take a piece of the bread and a cup of the fruit of the vine. Take it back to your seat. And when you're ready, partake of that. And as we all partake of that, know that we partake of the body and the blood of Christ. And we are the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you for your mercy and your greatness that through all time you've told one story and that's the story of Jesus 
Now we look back on the cross, but we've not forgotten who he is. We, our hope is in him. And we thank you, Father, for this remembrance as we come to this table. Help us, Father. We ask your forgiveness. We ask that your spirit reveal to us our transgressions against you. Reveal to us our transgressions against one another. Give us the courage and powers by your spirit to walk the walk and take the talk to resolve those issues. And as we eat and drink, help us to eat and drink worthily and take on the name of Christ that we would be a powerful community, not a sleepy community, not a dead community, not a suffering community, but a community that expresses life and vitality of the one who is both Lord and Christ of us. Amen.